Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together one more time? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, those of you here in the room, as well as anyone online. So honored to have you worshiping with us today. Well, as you can tell, this is a very special moment and season for us here at Grace Life. Yes, we are in a preaching series we're calling Beyond but it is more than just six sermons on six weekends. It is also about the journey we're taking together as a church. The reason we're calling it Beyond, you just saw the verse at the end of that, but we'll put it on the screen one more time. And I'm gonna preach it one more time. Next week, I'm just gonna pass the microphone around. You've all heard it so much, you can do this now, right? Yeah. But the reason that we're calling it Beyond is because this is what the Bible says about our God. Now to him who is able to do Far more abundantly beyond. There you go. Far more abundantly beyond. All that we can ask or think. If you're a guest and you're wondering why they're so excited, I'm not really sure. No other service has ever done that before. I mean, just hey. But the point to that is it, it takes us using incorrect grammar, putting four English words together to try to convey the original word, one word in Greek that was used when writing scripture talking about God. It says that we start with a reasonable expectation and God says, that's what you've got. I'm going to give you considerable excess to an extraordinary degree. Here's what you can ask or think. I will do considerable excess to an extraordinary degree, far more abundantly beyond. And so we're doing two things at the same time. One thing that we're doing is a six-week preaching series, believing that God has more for us in our lives than any of us are living. God wants us to go beyond what we've been doing as individuals. We're looking at the idea of how to get God's vision for our lives. But then at the same time, we're talking about how we can go beyond as a church. Uh, what you just heard or saw in the video there, and we've been talking about every week, I hope you're not getting bored with these numbers. Uh, and, and again, the video was made it just right before the end of last year, so those numbers are incorrect. But we have seen over 2,000 people. Uh, the church has grown to that since we moved into this building. We've seen over 1,000 people just in this building give their lives to Jesus. And here's a cool number. Well, that's a cool number. Uh, but it keeps going up. Actually, just in January and February of this year alone, 120 people have given their lives to Jesus. And I've been saying it all along. I, I do my best to make sure if you are a guest, you understand. We're not bragging. I, I pray and hope that for every single church. I've got friends and pastors. We celebrate with each other what's going on. We're just honored that, that God is moving that way. And we want to be good stewards of that. Because we have reached a natural and physical barrier. Uh, we're out of space. We're running four services right now, and uh, they're all very crowded. It's just at a point, if we don't do something in the natural, we will not continue to be able to do something in the spiritual. Does that make sense, everybody? And so that's where we are. And so today is part five. Again, it's six parts, six weeks. And so we will wrap it all up next week. Now, if you are part of the Grace Life family and you've been here throughout the series, you know that this weekend is special. And so let's talk about where we are in part five. We'll get to the message in just a moment, if you'll allow us a moment here as a spiritual family, if you're a guest. But when you came in, everybody, there were three things on your seats. The first one is a stone with a question mark. You can set that aside. That's for the message, and it'll make sense in a moment. The second thing that was on your seat is an offering envelope for our Going Beyond offering that is for next weekend. This is for next weekend, everybody. Take it home, uh, pray about it, be prepared for whatever you feel God has put on your heart because next weekend is where we be actually begin to give towards this project. Of course, if you give today, it's not like we're not gonna take it, but, but this is for next weekend. 
And then the one that we're going to talk about today, the third thing that was on your seat is our commitment card. And again, guest, there is, this is not for you necessarily. Uh, we're trying to make room for you and your friends. But if you're a part of Grace Life, what we've been doing is asking God a question now for five weeks. And that is, what are you calling me to give or to do to be a part of making room to reach more people? And so that is the answer to that question. Today, we're finally going to fill this out and say, this is the answer to the question. This is what I believe God is asking me and my, my family to do. And I want to make sure everybody understands our philosophy at Grace Life for doing something like this, first of all, is biblical, and second of all, is no pressure. Here's what I mean by biblical. Every time in Scripture when God told his people to build something for worship, whether it was the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting, the temple, or the second temple, whatever it was, he always said, go to my people and take up an offering and then build it. And what we also see is that there should never be a need for people to feel pressured or guilted into doing anything. Let me show you this response out of Exodus 35. This one was for the, the first tabernacle and tent of meeting. It says, so all the men and women of the Israelites whose hearts prompted them, they brought a freewill offering to the Lord for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So again, if this is not on your heart, that's Okay. I've been presenting the vision to you of what we believe God has called us to do. If that vision is exciting your heart, if God is speaking to you, then give as God leads you. If that is not, then I don't want anybody to feel any pressure because we see in the Bible every time when God moves on people's hearts, the provision is there. So we don't need to manipulate anybody. And furthermore, I want to make sure you understand as you fill out your commitment card, let me try to pick it up here. As you fill this out today, this is a faith commitment of what you believe God is calling you to do. It is not a debt. I preach against debt. It is not a debt that you owe. We believe if you can fulfill what you think God has put on your heart, then you will. And if you cannot or choose not to later, we're, we're not going to come knock on your door. I'm not going to chase you down. We don't send you letters telling you're behind everybody. Come on, somebody with me. Have you ever been a part of that? Again, this is willing hearts. And that's all we're asking for today. But we will do that as a special moment together at the end of the message. So now you can set that aside and let's get into our message for today. Everybody ready? Everybody good? Okay. So I taught school long enough to know that no matter how clearly I said something and how much I thought everybody heard, someone did not hear me. <clears throat> I need your attention, everybody. I am switching weeks five and six right now. So... If you're wondering what that means, we actually have a Beyond book that's got devotionals and it's got notes for the messages and we're doing our life group discussions together. I am preaching part five right now, but it is part six in your books. The reason for that is because the last two weeks are not actually chronological. No one made a mistake. Whoever made the book, which is Clea, and she wanted me to make sure you knew she did not mess it up, everybody. <laughs> but as I was praying, I just felt led that, that the, the point of week Six in the book would be better for us today. And is that okay, everybody? So it's week six in your books. It's week five for your life right now. So we're on a journey. This is the fifth step of our journey. The first one was to understand God made you. He made you with gifts. He made you with skills and talents. He didn't make the person beside you the same. And so if God made you and he made you with gifts and he made you to accomplish good works, then that means God has a vision for how your life should be lived to make all of that come to pass. God has a vision for your life. And the first thing we need to do is discover the difference between our plans, our dreams, and what God has planned for us. Because the life you actually want 
the one of meaning and purpose and that gets you excited to get out of bed on a Monday, that's God's vision for your life. Part two, we talked about how we are going to, at some point, have to pass a test. God will test us to see if we love something in our lives more than him. It'll be the first thing along the journey of living God's vision. It's called the surrender test. Will you surrender to him? Part three, we talked about how God still speaks to his people today. Look, I am an absolute huge believer and and preacher in the fact that the Bible is God's word. God is speaking to us through everything in his word. If you stay around Grace Life more than two weeks, you're going to hear me rant about that at some point. But also, God speaks through his spirit to his people today because what God is going to ask you to do with your life or ask you to surrender is not the same as the person beside you. And you're not necessarily going to find that example in scripture. You're going you're gonna to find God saying, hey, let's talk about you. And it's going to be his Holy Spirit, his spiritual voice to his child. And then the fourth thing that we learned last week is, well, then you've got those pieces. You've surrendered to God. You've got an idea of God's vision. You're hearing his voice. Time to do something. Will you obey God's call on your life? And as we get into our fifth part today, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever really thought much about the difference your life will make after you're gone? Have you really thought much about that question? The truth is I'm willing to bet that the grayer and whiter your hair is here today, the more you've thought about that. And the younger you are here today, the less you've thought about it. Because the younger we are, the more we think we always have tomorrow to make a difference. And right now, I just need to go about my life. I just need to get through college, then I can make a difference. I just need to get a job and then make some money and get a car because I'm, I'm tired of having my mom drive me to work or something, whatever your story is. I'll make a difference after I get a few things right. But if you've lived long enough, you start to figure out, I've had a few cars, we've had a few houses, we've taken quite a few vacations, but is this really going to matter once I'm gone? And I believe that our core, every human truly wants to leave a lasting difference. It's called legacy. And I think we all want to leave a legacy. The problem is that many people don't know how to leave a legacy because we've never been taught. I don't know about you. I was taught math. I was taught English. I was taught science. I did not have a class in school about how to leave a legacy. And that's what we're going to talk about today because if we don't know how, well, that's going to be pretty tough to do. And if we were to ask people, generally speaking, how do you leave a legacy, a lot of people would have ideas that are close but not quite there. Many people would think if if I'm famous, if I'm famous, then my life itself will leave a legacy. Look, I'm a little bit of a uh, documentary nerd. That's how I entertain myself, documentaries. There you go. Uh, That tells you something. But I recently found a, a docu-series on the president's. And here's the thing, you can imagine if you wanted to leave a legacy with your life, you'd think, I am going to grow up to be president. I mean, that's kind of like shooting for the stars, right? And if you become president, you're famous. There's not a single person in the country of the United States of America that wouldn't know who you are. But here's the reality. There are past presidents you don't know. And as I was watching this docuseries, there would be an entire episode dedicated to some presidents like George Washington. Made a difference, has a lasting impact, so to speak. But there were other presidents that barely got an honorable mention. Because not only do we not know who they were or what they did, I mean, there's probably one or two nerds in the room. Uh, who can write, name all the presidents? Anybody in here? One, one or two? No? Not even one? Okay, well, there you go. But anyway, back to my point. We can't even name all the presidents, and some of them, their impact was non-existent. 
Well, here we go. Here's this president. They made no lasting impact upon our country. Moving on to the next one. So what that tells us is that being famous today doesn't necessarily leave a legacy tomorrow. Some people would say, what if I get my name on a street or a building? That would leave a bit of a legacy. Yep. Until that street or building is torn down, which always happens. And then an earthly legacy fades. Some of us would say, well, if I, if I just live life larger than everybody else, then they'll tell stories about me at family gatherings and, and other events when I'm gone, except eventually the people who tell the stories, they too shall pass on. And earthly legacies will fade. And that's the truth about all of them. Given enough time, all earthly legacies fade. So how do we leave a true legacy? That's what we're going to look at today. I want to show you a passage of someone who, at the end of their life, was figuring out that they had done well and that their life was going to leave a legacy. It's out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to read it twice. I'm just going to read it once, and I'm going to set the stage. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Now, we're going to go back and read it again in just a moment, and I think it will have a bigger impact on you. I want to explain the context a little bit. This is written by the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, a murderer of Christians, and he was dramatically saved and impacted in contact with, with Jesus Christ as he knocked him to the ground and spoke to him from heaven on the Damascus Road. Just a, a crazy, radical, life-changing experience, if you can think about that. Blinded for three days and then ultimately had a prophet even sent to him by God so that he could see again and begin to discover that God had a vision for his life and it was quite different from the plans that he had. He went on to be what I would believe is the greatest leader of the New Testament church. You can at least arguably say that he was the greatest leader of the New Testament church. He wrote the majority of our New Testament and he said this of himself at one point. I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. I did, I used to. Man, I was a Jew becoming the top. I was, I was climbing the ladder. I was gonna be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. There was a good chance I would have been the high priest. I would have been the most respected person in all the nation of Israel. But then I met Jesus. I don't account my life of any value or is precious to myself. No, I have one goal from this point forward. If only I may finish my course. And that is the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, when I, when I met Jesus on that road to Damascus, my plans changed to his vision, and I only have one goal for my life, and that is to live out that vision. Just let me finish my course that he gave me. I didn't give it to myself. And at the point that he wrote this other passage that we started with, death is imminent. If you know any of his story, he was arrested and Israel claimed, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen, I get, I get to be heard by, by Rome. And he was taken to Rome and put in prison. But then, as best as we understand from history, he did not die then, he actually was set free, he continued to do some ministry, but he was re-imprisoned in Rome. This is now his second time being imprisoned in Rome and he knows by the Spirit, he's not going to leave this cell. This is the end of his life. Death is imminent. Most people that would follow him or were a part of his life, now that he's been put in prison twice, 
likely not to come out. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been left for dead. Every one of those cost him some people who were following. And at this point, he has very few people with him. And so he's writing to who is probably the closest person to him in life, Timothy. A spiritual son, someone he picked up earlier in the book of Acts, if you want to read the story, traveling along, and he began to disciple him, teach him everything that he knew. And so he says to Timothy, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. If y'all just leave this on the screen as I go through it, I'm going to go slowly. A drink offering was a certain amount of wine that accompanied every other offering in the Old Testament. If you brought a grain offering or a free will offering of any sort, you would also bring an amount of wine. It was considered a drink offering. And if you had any other offering, it, it was given partially to the priest. So some of it would be burned up on the altar as a sweet aroma to God. But then also the priest and the Levites, that's how they lived. They got to take a portion of whatever was brought except the drink offering. The drink offering was completely poured out to God in its fullness. You would take that amount of wine, it would be poured out upon the altar and completely spilled before God, nothing else. Paul is saying, I'm about to die as a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ, and my blood is being shed as a drink offering to God, utterly and completely poured out, nothing held back, everything given. The time of my departure has come. And I want you to notice his declarations. I have fought the good fight. He didn't say, well, I sure hope it was worth it. No. I've heard some folks on their deathbed wondering. I don't know about you, but I want to be on my deathbed declaring. I have fought the good fight. I have. Do you all remember his one goal? I have finished that course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, very soon, I'm going to receive this crown, this crown of righteousness that is reserved for me, the crown being the heavenly reward that each believer will receive as Jesus gives it to them when they see him. His declarations of I have, here's what we need to understand about Paul at this moment. This is a man who is satisfied that he's leaving the right legacy. His life has made a difference and it will continue to make a difference once he's gone. Because Paul understood how to leave a legacy that would actually last. Now, let me explain. Many people would say they are leaving a legacy, they want to leave a legacy, but most humans, our idea of leaving a legacy is an earthly legacy. It's all we know because it's all that's around us. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You can leave an earthly legacy that's good. You can also leave an earthly legacy that's bad. I mean, tyrants, Criminals and dictators have left legacies. We all know the names of like Bonnie and Clyde or, or Hitler or did you know we even pay money to tour Alcatraz once a place a human would have wanted to be as far from as possible? But you can also leave a good legacy. We donate money to get buildings named after us or, or to have awards that have our names on them like the Nobel Prize, the Lombardi Trophy. Come on, you guys understand? The reality is though, given enough time, all earthly legacies fade. There are notorious criminals and great heroes of ancient empires. We can't even name the empire, much less the hero or criminal. All earthly legacies fade, but Paul's will last. And because Paul's legacy will last, 
we need to learn something from him. He is our example for today, and here's what we can learn. God's vision for your life, are you with me? This whole journey has been about getting God's vision and living God's vision to the fullness, going beyond this earthly biological existence that says, let me get up on Monday, go to work, and try to get a good vacation in this year. No, no, no. Living God's vision, here's the thing, God's vision for your life culminates with leaving an eternal legacy. That will be the end. If you live God's vision for your life, it will culminate with leaving an eternal legacy. Because you need to understand, God did not create you to do something temporary that will pass away. God created you for good works, as Scripture says, that will have an eternal impact. And matter of fact, one way you can know the absolute difference between whether you are living your dreams and your plans or God's vision is whether or not it culminates in an eternal legacy. So let me make this very practical. I want to make sure we know how to leave an eternal legacy. I'm going to give you what I think are three important steps or three things to get into our lives. And if we do these three, I think we'll be on the right path for that. The first one is we have to prioritize differently. We have to prioritize differently. It means that we start with wanting something that transcends earth and it transcends here and now to something later. That's why Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. There's not a clearer scripture on changing your priorities than Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God. He goes on to say everything else will be added to you. All the stuff you need for life, it'll be there, but you won't have to focus on it. If you seek first, if you change your priority and make your priority something that is eternal because the kingdom of God is eternal. If that becomes your priority, everything else changes. But if we could be honest with ourselves, it is a constant struggle, and we have to remind ourselves to actually think of the kingdom of God in the midst of the daily grind. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have to. Every day I get up, and I've still got to do some of the same. You'd like to think, well, I'm a pastor. I just, like, live on a cloud and pray all day long. No, I have children. I have cats that somebody needs to open the door and let them out and, and yell at them when they're scratching the furniture. I have children that have to be awoken from bed and, and get them to school and, and get them to do homework and, and get them picked up on time. And I have a job and I have to come and I have to do some work. And it's not all sitting on a cloud and praying. It's actually typing on a computer and doing research and getting a deadline met so it's on the screen by the time you get here. And then I've got dentist appointments and doctor appointments and haircuts and, and I have a daily grind to live just like you. And it is so easy. I'll find myself halfway through a day or at the end of a day going, God, I didn't really think a whole lot about you today. And I'm the pastor. And if you don't have that problem, you're preaching Park 6 next week. But, but here's the reason that I want you to understand that we all get so caught up with the daily grind because there simply are so many details going on in life that we are set up for a trap. And that is if you wake up one day and say, honey, I'm tired of this. I want my life to matter. Since we are focused and prioritizing only on earthly things, we try to make a difference only in an earthly way. I mean, it, it's a good heart to say, I want to make a difference, but because we prioritize earthly things, it's all we can do. So we say, well, I'm, I'm going to work to, to win this award in college, or I'm going to be famous, or I'm going to excel at a sport, or I'm going to invent something no one has so they'll remember me, or I'm going to try to get a promotion. You may even say, well, I'm going to pour my life into my kids. I'm tired of being a workaholic. I'm going to become their little league coach. Do not misunderstand this. 
all of those things are very worthy and very good, and they are how you steward the life God has given you. Please do those things. Please steward the life God has given you well. But just because you steward your life well doesn't mean it'll leave a legacy. Some of you don't want to agree with that just yet. Because see, to leave an eternal legacy, we have to prioritize eternal things. And that list is very short. That list is very short. Souls. The kingdom of God, which consists of souls, among other things. That's why the mission of the church is so important, because the mission of the church is to get souls into the kingdom of God. So coaching your kid's little league team is great so that they can have a healthy father, son or daughter, mother, son, daughter relationship and steward your life well, please. But having your child go to heaven, that's eternal. That's eternal. The second thing is then we have to put our hearts into something bigger than ourselves. And again, we can lose our way here because there are many earthly things that are bigger than ourselves. There are things you can do on the earth. You can go and build an orphanage. It'll change lives. It's bigger than you. You can fight for social justice. You can serve in the Peace Corps or the military. All of those are worthy. All of them are bigger than you, but they're still all earthly. Every one of us should ask the question, am I putting my heart into something that is eternal? Jesus gave us that warning. Matthew 6, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Earthly. Where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he explains, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Your heart will be where your treasure is. And yes, he's talking about money. But the truth is, it's more than just your money. It's your time. It is your energy. It's where you serve. It's, it's everything that you invest your life in. Your heart will be there. So the question is, is your life, your money, your time, your energy, is it invested in something eternal? Souls. The kingdom of God. The mission of the church to get souls into the kingdom of God. This is why King David said, moreover, because I have set my affection. In other words, because my heart is on the house of my God, I've given to the house of my God. You see, David's why behind what he invested his life in was because it was eternal. Jesus is talking about getting our hearts into something eternal. And the third one, very practically, is then we sacrifice for something that will outlast us. We have to sacrifice for something that will outlast us. Let's go back to Paul. Paul's legacy wasn't a building. You may not know this. There is a building with Paul's name on it. It is absolutely beautiful. It's one of the most exquisite and ornate houses of worship you'll ever see if you get the chance to. It's in Rome. But many of you didn't know it even existed until this moment, and many more have never seen it. So that wasn't his legacy. Some would say, well, his legacy is because of how much scripture he has written. And I would say, well, there's a lot of people that wrote scripture. We know very little about them, and they definitely didn't have the impact Paul had. So while that is quite meaningful, I would say that the real legacy of any scripture that he wrote was that it touches souls and leads them to eternity. Now, his real legacy was souls, and he sacrificed everything for them. 
I, I gave it to you so fast, I'm not sure you caught this. Paul, when his name was Saul, was raised as a Jewish child. He had Roman citizenship and Jewish heritage and the best training. Let me explain this. The best illustration I can give you is a kid who wants to be president, who all of his uncles and aunts are senators and whatever else, and he's going to Harvard because he's so smart. He got a 1600 on the SAT, if that's still the high score, I don't even know. And he had everything going for him. And then he met Jesus. And he said, no longer do I want to help people become excellent Jews and miss out on eternity. No longer do I want that lifestyle. No longer do I want people taking care of me and an entourage that follows me and comfort. No, no, no. I'll sacrifice all of that. I'll be beaten. I'll be stoned and left for dead. I'll be put in prison. I don't care. I will sacrifice everything that I have to see people come to know Jesus so that they can have eternity. And that brings us to really my main point that I want to make today. The reason that there are stones and these metal-looking things and the reason that you have a stone with a question mark on your seat. If you want to, you can pick that up for a moment. It might, might be meaningful to you. First Peter says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, a living stone who was rejected by men, he was nailed to the cross, by the very people he came to save. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you and me here today. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You see, I used this illustration seven years ago when we were trying to move from our old building and, and into this building. And right before we came to this part in the series, I just felt the Holy Spirit gave me this visual aid, this illustration, and I don't know any better way to show you what is really happening right now and why we're doing what we're doing, so I'm repeating it. And the beauty of repeating it is as I've done this, I've had quite a few people who were in Grace Life seven years ago came to me and said, I still have mine. And for the record, I have mine, this isn't it. Mine is on my bookshelf right beside every military coin that I've ever had a soldier give me, things that, that matter to me. And I look at it every single time I come in, but just because of where it's placed, and I, I remember why I do what I do every day. You see, if, if I could get a bigger shot over here and you can understand, you gotta forgive our stone masonry. We're, we're not experts. <laughs> but that's our best illustration of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And then every stone on either side that you see, this is you and me. If you have declared Jesus to be your king, if you know that you are going to heaven because of what he did on the cross for you, you already are a living stone already in God's spiritual house. What we could not illustrate correctly is the number of these because there would have been no room for the worship team. See, this is our effort to illustrate how much of the spiritual house of God is yet to be built. Empty spaces. Even if you just took this one moment in time and you froze today, there are 8 billion people upon the earth. Over 6 billion do not claim to be Christians. And even some of the 2 billion who do, that's just a census statement. 
You see, don't miss the point. When you came in today, you had to move this to make room for you. We've talked about building a building, but that's not what we're really building. What we're really building is the spiritual house of God. And the reason there is a stone with a question mark on your seat is because we don't know their names yet. We're making room for them to come and to have a seat. We're making room so that you don't have to move them out of the way so that you can have a seat. We're already in. The question is, who are they? And will we make room for them? And I've got a story to share with you that, uh, well, it couldn't be better for talking about living stones added to the spiritual house. If you would, turn your attention to the screen. My name is Amber Infante. And I'm Stephen Infante. And I've been coming to Grace Life since September of 2010. And I've been coming to Grace Life since December of 2010. When we first started coming to Grace Life, I had been in the Army for about 16 years. Our lives, our home and family life was pretty dysfunctional at that time. Like we were in a really dark season. Steve had PTSD really badly and I had a lot of fear. And I was pretty desperate, but I didn't really know what I was desperate for. My experience with church growing up is I, I was raised in uh, another religion, but I did not know Jesus. I didn't have any experience with the Bible. I didn't understand who God was. I mean, to me, God was like this very sort of distant character. And there were a lot of doctrinal things that caused a lot of hurt in my life because of the religion that I grew up in. I started going to Grace Life because I was part of a mom's group and we met every Tuesday for coffee. And one of the ladies in the group had been inviting me. We, we shared our lives together in this group. And so after months and months of being invited, I, I kept saying, oh yeah, someday. And I really didn't have any intention of doing it. But um, one day I just, I was kind of at my, the end of my tether. I didn't really know what else to do or, or where to turn. And so I called her and said, can I please come to church with you on Sunday? Her experience at Grace Life really had changed the way she looked at things. I made Jesus my King at church. It was interesting because the very first time I ever visited Grace Life, I was hearing things that I had never heard in my life. And I knew without a doubt that I was absolutely hearing the truth. Several weeks later, when I visited Grace Life again, during service, you know, Jimmy just said, you know, if you want to give your life to Jesus, and I was like, yes, I do. Actually, I would love to give my life to Jesus. And that was, that was it. Grace Life has been so important to my life as a maturing Christian because I went from not knowing Jesus to having a relationship with Jesus. At every stage of my journey, I feel like I've been discipled and mentored, encouraged, obviously prayed for. So this is really exciting. My mom grew up her whole life in another religion. More recently, she's had a lot of questions I don't think she realized, but she was searching for truth. Recently, she had been out here to visit us and she went back to Texas where she lives now. She called me on a Monday and she said, yesterday, everyone was getting ready for church um, because you know she's out with family that all are still in this religion. I just said, I don't believe this. I don't know if I've ever believed it. I just want the truth. 
she really is, I think, excited about getting to know her father, her Heavenly Father, in a way that she's never known him. And not as some distant, you know, omnipotent God, but like as an actual dad. So this is a really exciting time for her. And it's exciting for me because obviously, you know, I want everyone to know the truth. I mean, when you experience living a whole, you know, life without Jesus, and then you, you get to know who Jesus is, it's exciting. I mean, it, it changes everything. Many years ago, when Amber came to that first church service, I still remember that day. She was sitting in the middle of the middle in our other building. Now she's made it to the front row of the middle. I'd actually met her right before that at a friend's wedding. They were coming to the church. You never know the impact your life can have on someone else and their family and their family members. A few weeks after that, I do appreciate that Amber came by herself, making sure that all this craziness we were doing was safe for her family. And once she decided it was, and her husband and her children, her mom and family would visit over the years, gotten to know them quite closely. We've been through some tough times together. Done a few, fa few funerals where I made sure I preached about Jesus every time and you let me do it. Had some great times together. Steve can cook and launch some fireworks like nobody else. But here's the point. That question mark got the name that day, Amber. And it keeps spreading to other members of her family. And so no longer is this a question mark on your seat. It's a living stone in a spiritual house. That's what we're doing. Because even the building we're building won't last forever. The building is a tool. What we're building is a spiritual house. And so this is a special moment for us as a church family, and we're going to do things differently today than we normally do. If you're a guest, would you just give us a moment? <laughs> this is usually the point where I wrap up in prayer and several of you head to be the first ones in line for your kids and to get out of the parking lot before the crowd starts. Today, can I ask you not to do that? We're actually going to close with a moment of worship together. And because we normally don't make a big deal about money or how we do things, usually there's a bucket by the door you kind of toss your offering into. The truth is most of us give online anyway. But today, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song. And for the first half or so of that song, I want to encourage you to just have a conversation with God and your spouse if you're seated with them. If not, maybe get with them. Fill out that card if you haven't already. Some of you came prepared because we gave them to you last week. Some of you may want to just talk about whether or not that's what God's leading you to do or is it something different from what you thought when you came in today. And then about halfway through that song, we're actually going to pass offering buckets down the row because this is probably the largest thing that we'll ever do. 
as individuals. I would be willing to bet that anyone who is, is feeling led to do something today, you're about to do the biggest thing you've done. And so we think that deserves a special moment. And then we're gonna stand together and we're gonna worship God declaring the words of this very specific song to be true over our lives and our church. You guys with me? All right, if you would, worship team, can you lead us?
somewhere that every day for the rest of your life you look and you say I know how to leave an eternal legacy because when someone when someone spends eternity in heaven with God because of an invitation you made prayer you led them in anything it can never be erased it's a part of eternity and that's how you leave a legacy let me pray for us God, we thank you that you have called us and gifted us and saved us and redeemed us and brought us into your spiritual house. God, we thank you that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that our lives are eternal and that our impact can also be eternal. God, we thank you that you have created each of us to have meaning and, and a legacy of impact for all time. It's my prayer, God, for every single person here today that we would live the life you have envisioned for us and that would culminate in an eternal legacy of knowing, just like Paul, that we've done well and our life has mattered in our final moments. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. 
The reality is we've all been separated by God. This thing called sin entered humanity and came upon the earth. As a result of that, we find ourselves separated from God with no answer. We have no way to be right with him. And that is why we are not a part of God's spiritual house until we recognize Jesus came, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, so that when his body was broken, when his blood was shed, it could pay the penalty for sins, yours and mine. And then by the same power that raised him from the dead, you and I can be raised to eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. But every one of us at some point has to receive that gift. And if you never have, then today. And if you would like to see your life added as a living stone to the house of God, then would you pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?